Grace greater than all of our sin. Amen. That's you sing about grace in the congregation. The choir sing about grace. And now Janus sing about grace. That's one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Ghost. Amen. And thank God for God's grace. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans, chapter number 7. On last Sunday morning, I began a series of messages on sin. I remember hearing an old story years ago. This little fellow went off to church with his mama, and the daddy never did much go to church. And so when he got back home, the, the daddy wanted to question the little fellow about church. And he said, do you like it? He said, it's all right. He said, what did the preacher preach about? He said, preach again about sin. He said, what did he say about it? He said, he said he was again it. Amen. And so we ought to be against sin. Amen. We ought to be against sin. But America knows nothing about sin. Most churches know nothing about sin. Not that they don't sin. Not that they don't practice sin. But they'll have no, they have no concept of sin. If you did, if you understood really what sin is and what sin has done to you, and what sin's done to America, and where sin could have taken you, and what could have been the ultimate payment for your sin, and in God's marvelous grace, he forgave you of all of your sin, you'd be a shouting right now still over that last song, because God's amazing grace was greater than all of our sin. Look in your Bible, please, in the book of Romans chapter number seven. Romans chapter number seven. And notice, I'll just read a verse or two here to begin with this morning. Looking in your Bible at verse number 11 of chapter 7. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now, what's he saying? Paul's saying it's the law that killeth. The Bible said the law it judges us. But he said, was it really the law that killed us? Was it the law that condemned us? No, it was sin. He said the law was given to show us the exceeding sinfulness of sin. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. I want you to bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for the blessed privilege of being here this morning. Thank you for our friends and guests and so many visitors here. And our Father, a good many of our, our church family, I know are away on vacation. Some are sick. Many, our Father, who, Lord, have physical problems this morning, not able to be here. Thank you for the ministry of radio. Thank you for the ministry of the Internet. God, I want to thank you for the privilege of being here in this congregation, this great congregation of God's people. And I pray, God, for your anointing. Our Father, I pray, God, you'd purge my mind and heart. I pray, God, that, Lord, I'd be a vessel through which you could speak this morning. God, I want to thank you for amazing grace. Thank you, our Father, for grace that reached further down than I could reach up. I want to thank you, our Father, that sin, that sin had me bound and there was no hope outside of God's amazing grace. But, God, I want to thank you, God, that it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fear relieved. Thank you, our Father, for the Holy Ghost of God administering grace to us that we might by grace be saved through faith. 
And that not of self is a gift of God. I pray this morning that some man, some boy, some girl, some Lord, someone may come to know Christ here in the building, in the internet audience or the radio audience. I pray God that the Holy Ghost of God would do our Father what we know that Lord he is here to do. I pray God we would heed and respond. I pray God as you speak to our hearts and God you convict us of sin and righteousness judgment. I pray God there'd be a proper response to that convicting power of the Holy Ghost and that God's people, our Father, would repent and be clean that we might have real revival. And I pray God that lost sinners might repent that they might be saved and have a home in heaven. And I'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. On last Sunday, I talked to you about sin. The Bible says that sin is a transgression of the law. That means to step across the boundary. means to step across the line. God had some guidelines. God is holy. God fashioned man in his own image and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Man had perfect fellowship with God. He was in perfect health, lived in a perfect environment, had everything just right. Because God wanted him to be blessed. God wanted him to be happy. God wanted him to walk with him in, in fellowship. Wanted him to have a perfect environment, a perfect body. But man willfully sinned, stepped across the bound. He thought he knew better than God. And we've reaped the repercussions through all the years. Whereas by one man sin in the world, death by sin. So death passed upon all men in that all have sinned. And by that, death came into the world. Death of family, death of joy, death of peace. All those things came because sin entered into the world. And last Sunday, I talked to you about that part of sin and how that sin was stepping across the line, that God had a purpose in it. God wanted us to be saved. God wanted us to know Christ. He wanted to, to nullify the effects of sin in our life and restore us back to fellowship with him. The Bible uses the term to be reconciled to God, set back in line with him, walk in step with him, fellowship with him, and to have joy unspeakable. He said these words have I spoken, that your joy might be full. And he said, I've come to give you life and you might have it more abundantly. And he said, I want you to have peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. He wants you to have all those things, but it never happens as long as you're living in sin. You've got to come to the place where you see sin for what it is. You know, when I was in college down in Florida, I, I took classes in psychology. And we went to, at that time, a place called Chattahoochee, Chattahoochee, Florida. The state mental hospital was there, just like Dorothea Dix was many years ago. And we went through and we worked with some of the counselors and workers there and they helped us and so on. I never will forget all, all that went on, but, but there's one thing in particular that really stuck my mind. And it was this. One of, the, one of the psychologists said this. The great task that we face in this profession is that most people who are here don't want to be well. They don't want to get well. He said they're in an environment that's controlled. They have three meals a day. They don't have to deal with life. They don't have to deal with reality. They are here, every need's met. They really don't want to get well. He said they don't want to have to face what's out there. And the problem with America and the problem with people in regard to sin is they really don't want to get saved. They really don't want to get rid of their sin. They don't understand. They don't understand the consequences of it. But Paul said... What God did to shock us into reality was he gave the law that sin might become exceedingly sinful. He wants us to understand how very bad it was. In those days, a medical diagnosis was quite often given by the high priest. 
there may be a, a little small patch of white flesh appear on somebody's arm. Just to look at it, you may think it's the skin rashes, just maybe some overexposure to something. But they were commanded by the Levitical law to go to the high priest. And when they went to the high priest and the high priest looked at it, he could determine whether it was just some sort of irritated flesh or if it was in fact leprosy. Leprosy was a, is still a horrible, hideous disease. It permeates the body. It racks the whole system of the body. It spreads much like cancer does now. There's no cure for it. Nothing can be done for it. It literally eats the flesh away. And that's what Isaiah said when he said in Isaiah, woe is me, that's the cry of a leper. Because when somebody found out they had leprosy, it was diagnosed as leprosy, then they were, conti- they were, they were diagnosed and said unclean. As long as they went on and paid no attention to it, as long as they didn't get it defined or, or diagnosed, they could ignore it. But once the high priest saw it, he gave them the reality that there's more to that than what meets the eye. There is coursing through your blood a disease called, disease called leprosy. You will die. You will die. It'll eat away your flesh. Your fingers will begin to rot off. Every appendage of your body will begin to rot off. The flesh will literally rot from your bones and you'll die a horrible and hideous death. There's no cure for it. Beyond that, everything you've ever touched is unclean. Everything you touch is going to have to be burned. Now, the day before that, he had a little white spot. Now, he has leprosy. Now, he's doomed to die. Now, everything he's touched is defiled. That sin might become exceedingly sinful. That's why the law came. So we can understand the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Sin is revealed in its sinfulness by its very nature. Sin is defiling. If you go through the Bible, it's described in several different ways. It's described as filth. It's described as unrighteousness. In in so many different ways, it it, it pictures sin. It's described as a plague. It's described as the rags of a leper. It's described uh, as, as uncleanliness. And all those things, any kind of filthiness of the flesh. Sin, my dear friend, stamps the very image of Satan on that individual. Sin is an awful thing. Sin in the Bible, I said last week, in the Greek text means to step across the bound. But in the Old Testament, the word sin has this primary emphasis. It is rebellion. It means that there's somebody who has a superior. Somebody who's over them. And what they do is rebel against them. And that's exactly what sin is in the heart of a sinner. It is rebellion against the superior. It is willful rebellion against a holy God. Sin hates God. It would not only de-God God, take away his deity, bring him down and make him like a man. But if sin had its way, it would eliminate God altogether. If sin had its way, it would destroy God. If sin had its way, there would be no God. If sin had its way, it would teach the theory of evolution and say there's no such thing as a superior creator. It's only natural selection and there is no God. That's what's happening in America. We rejected the concept of God. Sin rejects God. Sin de-deifies God. Sin would destroy God. Sin wants to annihilate God. Sin strikes at the very heart. Sin would be the murder of God. If sin could, it would kill God. 
That's exactly what it would do. And that sin is in every heart. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In your Bible, turn over to the book of Jeremiah. I want to show you the Old Testament concept of what sin's all about. In Jeremiah chapter number 44, notice what sin is in this context. In Jeremiah chapter 44 and verse number 16, listen to what it says. The prophet of God has spoken to the nation of Israel, warned them about the consequence of their sin, warned them about the need of repentance and getting right with God. Listen to their response in the book of Jeremiah chapter 44 verse 16. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. We are just not going to do it. We will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing cometh forth out of our own mouth. There's sin. That's what sin is. Sin says, I don't want to care what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want to. I don't care what God's man says. I'm going to do what I want to. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do just exactly what I want to. God may say for this cause, God has established this principle that a man should leave his father and mother and be cleaved unto his wife and they too become one flesh. But man says, I don't care about God. If a man wants to marry a man, that's all right. If a woman wants to marry a woman, that's all right. That's what man says. I don't care what God says. Whatever comes out of our mouth, that's what we're going to do. I don't care what God says about premarital sex. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the Bible says about lying. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to, rebe- I'm going to rebel against God. That's the Old Testament concept. It means that you're going to do just exactly like you want to do. The nature of sin and this horribleness and exceedful sinfulness is seen in the willful contempt of God. It wants to disgrace God. Sin wants to embarrass God. Sin wants to humiliate God. Why do you think it is that Christians in America now are held in such ill repute? Why is it that on every program on television that you see that's got a Christian in it, they're some sort of idiot? Why? Because they want to discredit God. They want to humiliate God. They want to mock God. They want to make fun of God. That's what sin does. That's what sin is. And that little bit of sin you're hanging on to, that's what you're hanging on to. Oh, you say, well, mine's not like that. Oh, yeah, it's all the same. It's all the same. You just got to learn to see. You got to see it that sin must become exceedingly sinful. Sin strikes at the very heart of God. Sin will destroy God. It is the ultimate act of ingratitude and unkindness toward the holy God. It's just exactly like somebody talks about a person who, who extends kindness. And it's, the old saying is they bite the hand that feeds them. God gave you strength and you serve Satan with that strength. He gave you the ability to speak and you blaspheme his name with your voice. He gave you intellect and with your intellect, you try your best to deny him. All that God's given to you, the blessings of God he's given to you, you use for excuse not to go to the house of God. The job he gave you, you use that not to go to the house of God. The ability to enjoy life and enjoy your family, you use that for some reason not to honor God and serve God. Everything God's given us, he provides for us. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns all the silver and all the gold, according to the Bible. And yet we use our gold, the gold that we have in our possession for our own needs instead of honoring God with the first fruits, the very minimum, which is the tithe, and then giving
given to missions above that, that which God's entrusted to you as a steward. You've robbed God in tithes and offerings. That's what sin does. Now, understand the concept of robbery. There's a difference between robbing somebody and stealing something. A thief is still slipping in the middle of the night and take what he wants and leaves, but not a robber. A robber walk up to your face and put a 44 Magnum in your face and say, if you don't give me what you've got, I'll blow your head off. And the Bible says that's what sin does to God. It robs God. You go to God, you rob God of his tithes and offering. Oh, it's just not, just not a matter of economics. It's not just a matter of you can't balance your checkbook. It's a matter of your willful disobedience that you will not honor God with your tithe. You don't trust him with the 90%. You say, God can't take care of me. If I give God 10%, then I can't make it through the rest of the week. That's what sin says. That's what sin says. It says God doesn't have the ability. It's not God's to start with, it's mine. And that's a concept of stealing from God, robbing God. My dear friend, sin is an awful thing. And he said the law was given that we might understand the concept of it. We might understand it. Sin, my dear friend, is the kiss of Judas on the cheek of the Savior. Just mocking him. Just mocking him. Sin, that sin might become exceedingly sinful. My dear friend, sin is described throughout the Bible as, 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 as sickness. It says from the top of the head to the sole of the foot, there's no soundness in thee. None whatsoever. None. You say, well, Brother Bill, I just, I, I, I just, a little white lie, a little here, a little something here, a little something. They don't tell you what sin does. Sin, sin is not dormant. If they find one cancer cell in your body, you're going to need some help. Because it, it won't float around. That one little cell is not going to bat around in your body and go through your bloodstream every so many seconds and not, not develop, not spread. You find one cancer cell. That's why when they look, 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 and they find this little bit here, a little bit there, they're going to do chemo and radiation because they don't want to miss one cell because of the consequences of it. Oh, you say, well, Brother Bill, a little bit won't hurt you. Is that so? I wish I had a little syringe here this morning with just a little bit of the AIDS virus in it. And you'd allow me to inject just a little bit of the AIDS virus in your body. Why you say, don't be ridiculous, preacher. This sin might become exceedingly sinful. Understand as it describes it as sin, it means it spreads, it grows, and in its growth it destroys. When sin conceives, it brings forth death. The Bible says that sin must become exceedingly sinful. Not something you want to play with. It's not something you want to have right around your house. And when I was down in Florida, they warned me about rattlesnakes. And I said, I'm used to snakes. I, I grew up in North Carolina, and we had all kinds of snakes. Besides that, I, I grew up in the northern part, eastern part of the state, fished the Chowan River and Maharan River and all those ponds. Snakes and their wings been down there, Danny's been down there. Used to Chowan River. Man, every tree down there had a water moccasin laying in it. I've had them. I had to take my boat paddle and get them away from the boat. They're trying to get in the boat with you. I've had them fall down in the boat. Y'all, every, every tree up there. I mean, just everywhere, used to, used to, just snakes everywhere. I was used to them. They said, Preacher, you hadn't seen a Florida rattlesnake. Two days after I'd been there, a guy blew it in the front yard and blew the horn. And when I went out, he had a pickup truck and he had a dog box on the back of that pickup truck and he had a rattlesnake on it. I've never seen such a sight in my life. Literally, you're on the internet, already you can't see, but I'm measuring about a 10 inch diameter. That snake was at least 10 inches round and about a foot and a half or two foot hanging off each side of that dog box. That's a snake, better row. That's a snake. He was dead as a wedge, but it gave me the willies. I couldn't could imagine walking through a soybean field and that thing jumping on you. I tell you, I, but now listen, 
thing about it is this. You can take that, you can take that six or seven foot rattlesnake, 10 inch diameter, weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of 35, 40 pounds sometimes. Huge. But you know one that's about 10 inches long? When he, is, when he gets about 10 inches long, he's just as deadly as when he gets six foot long. How would you like to take a little snake about that big? Not very big, just about eight, 10 inches. Walk into your nursery where your baby's at and drop that rattlesnake in there with your nursery and, and, and the crib with your baby. You say, Brother Billy, they're foolish. You're foolish. That little snake would kill my baby. Well, sin will kill your children. Sin's going to kill your family. Sin's going to destroy you. Sin must become exceedingly sinful. You got to understand what it is. Sin is exceedingly sinful. It, it is pictured as being disease. Sin in its nature is irrational. Irrational. Why? You ever look at people and they just destroy their lives? You say, how could that happen? Because sin is irrational. The Bible talks about that man who was possessed of the demons. And when the Lord Jesus Christ healed him, he was clothed and in his right mind. People living in sin just out of their mind. Oh, they may hold jobs. They may have high level security. They may work for the government. Most of them do. <laughs> but their mind is not rational. The mind didn't work right. They don't, they don't see things from a godly perspective. Think about it. Why would people choose death over life? Why would they choose hell over heaven? Why would they choose to have their body riddled with disease and die a horrible death because of the repercussions of sin than to live a holy life and live clean? Because it's irrational. Why is it that husbands and wives and, and people make decisions that will affect them and ruin them for the rest of their life? Because sin's irrational. It doesn't look down the road. It doesn't look at the consequences. It doesn't understand that. Sin is irrational. Sin is extremely painful. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 5 says this, that they, they wearied themselves to commit Adult, or to commit a, iniquity. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 says of those who serve lust. They serve lust. Now what's that word serve mean? It means in, in the, that book that when people yield to sin, they become the servants of it. They're enslaved by it. And it is a very painful taskmaster. It has to do with the idea of being in shackles and being tormented and buffeted all the time, being bound and beaten like a slave. That's a picture of sin. Sin. In Jeremiah 44, verse 8, the Lord says this, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. Did you know that sin is the only thing in God's creation that God hates. Sin. God hates sin. Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. Until you see it as something God hates, until you see it as what God hates, you'll not hate it. Until you understand the reason God hates it. 
He hates it because of what it's done. Back to the bassinet, back to the crib, back to that nursery. You drop that snake in there, but let's do this. I heard Dr. R.G. Lee say several years ago out in, the te- out in Texas, there was a young couple that God blessed their home with a little bitty baby girl. She was the light of their eyes, the joy of their home. Her, her smile lighted up every room. Her giggle just, it, it just gave everybody else joy. On a hot Texas night, they laid her in her crib, opened the window just slightly so that she could get a little breeze through the night. In the middle of the night, they heard a horrifying scream. And when they ran into the room, there was that little girl in that crib with the fang marks of a rattlesnake in her face and the snake coiled up. And just as they hollered, the little girl screamed again and they lunged one more time and struck her flush in the face. The little girl died almost instantly. And Dr. R.G. Lee said, just as surely as that family had hatred for that snake, that's how God feels about sin. It's destroyed his creation. He, doesn't, he takes no pleasure in the death of the ungodly. God doesn't want to see you ruin your life. God doesn't want to see you reap the consequences of sin. Sin, my dear friend, is something. Until sin's removed, there can be no fellowship with God. He hates it. He's not going to walk with you, not going to fellowship with you, not going to empower you, not going to give you peace, not going to give you any joy as long as you cultivate and entertain sin in your life. Sin must become exceedingly sinful. Oh, if I could just show it to you. If I could just show you what sin was and see it personified. Oh, but I think I can. Turn in your Bible, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter number 27. Can I show you sin in your Bible? Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew chapter 27. The verses preceding to where I begin to read, look at verse number 20, uh, look at verse number 27 of chapter 27. But the verse is just immediately prior to this. The people are given an option. You can either have Barabbas, which is, a, which is a murderer, a criminal, or you can have Jesus. They said, give us Barabbas. Sin is irrational. Sin is irrational. Give us Barabbas. What would you do with Jesus, which is called the Christ, the Son of God who came down from heaven to be the Savior of men? What would you do with him? They said, crucify him, crucify him. Kill him. Kill him. We want to kill God. We want to kill Christ. We want to kill the one who opened blinded eyes. We want to kill the one who, hanged, who healed lame limbs. We want to kill him who raised the dead. We want to kill him who did good all of his life and all of his ministry. Sin would kill God. Notice what it says in verse 27. And when the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the common hall, they gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him of his and put a script stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Sin is a mocker of God. Sin would de-deify de- God. It would take away his garments and put an earthly garment on him. It would plait a crown of thorns and place it upon his brow. Notice verse 30. And they spit upon him 
and took a a reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe on him and put on his own raiment and they led him away to be crucified. Drop down verse 33. And when they'd come to the place which is called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when they had when he had tasted there, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, cast a lot that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vestige they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. There's sin. There's sin. Sin strips God of his garments. Sin strips God of his deity. Sin mocks God. Sin strikes God in the face. Sin would rob the God from God. Sin would beat God. Sin would spit in his face. Sin would pull the beard from his hand. Sin would put a crown of, of, of rebuke upon his brow and beat him with a rod. Sin would nail him to a cross. And sin, if it could, would kill him. That's sin. He was made sin for us. That's your sin, my sin. That's what put him on the cross. It was not a group of Roman soldiers. It was not a Jewish Sanhedrin. It was sin. He said, I've come to give my life a ransom. That's sin. All that you see happen to Christ, the beating and the the humiliation and the dying. That's what sin would do to God. And that's what sin did to God. He was made sin for us. He died for us. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And sin on the cross. Killed God, tried to, tried to kill him. Now let me tell you, where sin brings death to you and death to men, death could not kill him. He said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. What do you mean, Brother Billy? I meant that they didn't forcibly take him out of that garden. Oh, they did bind him. But he willingly, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have struck them, everyone down. He came a lamb, and so he opened not his mouth as a sheep led to the slaughter, as a lamb to the shear. So he opened not his mouth. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He suffered and bled and died. Why? Because he, he knew that you were no match for your sin, that you couldn't take care of your sin. You couldn't even understand your sin. You couldn't comprehend your sin. You didn't understand the enormity of it, the awesomeness of it, the exceedingly sinfulness of it. You couldn't comprehend that. Only he could do that. And he bore our sins in his own body. He suffered and paid the debt for all of our sin. But death could not hold him, the Bible said. It was impossible that death could hold him. My dear friend, he paid that ultimate sacrifice and he paid the debt. And the Bible said the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. Every bit of it. Oh, listen, we ought not ever raise our our eyes toward heaven because we too have lived a life of sin. We've blasphemed him, mocked him by our life and by our actions and often by our words. And we've insulted the dignity of heaven, the royalty of heaven, the God who created us and fashioned us. My dear friend, we ought, we ought to just be calling every one of us on our belly out of here today. But amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I saw where I was and what I was, and God in marvelous grace saved me. Why is it that I go to the house of God? Why is it I love the word of God? Why is it I sing no song? Because he saved me. He gave me everlasting life. Has nothing to do with being a Baptist has nothing to do with being religious, has nothing to do with ritual or form. It has to do with a birth. I was born again by the grace of God. God forgave all of my sin 
on Calvary paid the sin debt. But down in North Carolina, up at my mama's house, when I bowed my head and said, Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I, I don't understand the enormity of it, but I know enough right now to know I don't want to die and go to hell. I know enough about it that I have insulted you. I know enough about it to know that you suffered and bled and died for me. And I trust you and I believe you did that for me. And by marvelous grace, what I did not understand, he knew full well. He only knew one thing. He knew that a sinner came and when I came wanting to be saved, he made a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in marvelous grace, he saved me and he did you too. And now all of your sin is gone. As horrible as it is, as wicked as it is, if you've ever been saved, it's all gone by his marvelous grace. Thank God. You know why he's going to give us a brand new body? Because if he didn't give us a brand new body and we could understand with a consciousness of God how horrible sin was and how close we were to the brink of hell. And when we got to heaven, my dear friend, we could not stand it. He'll have to give us a brand new body or we'd bust wide open, praise God. When we realize what he's done for us, my marvelous grace. My dear friend, I want you to understand something. I'm not talking about the heart. I'm not talking about the drunk. I'm not talking about the person laying out in the woods somewhere this morning, their body riddled and decaying because of sin. I'm talking about this crowd sitting in this building. Your sin's just as bad as that sin. My dear friend, that'll be the results of sin for all eternity. Unless Lest you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There's no remedy for sin. It's incurable as leprosy is. There's no way that you can take care of it. There's no, there's no ointments. There's no elixir. There's no doctor. There's no psychiatrist. There's no amount of education. What must be done to rid you of your sin? You must be washed in the blood. All oh, those old people who didn't know much. Oh, boy, they could read the King James Bible. And now we're so intelligent, we've got to have a new perversion every week. Because we, we got so much education, we can't understand it. I, I'm convinced now that the older I get, it's not that we can't understand it, it's we just don't want to obey it. Amen. And so we'd like to have a Bible that would accommodate our lifestyle. Because this Bible said that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it said the wage of sin is death. But it said the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can wash away our sin. That's why when they got saved, they wrote songs like this. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Hallelujah. I believe that with all my heart. Oh, listen, my dear friend, you may not know all there is to know about sin or all there is to know about God. But if you know you're a sinner and you know he died to save sinners and he died to save you, he made it so simple that whosoever will, may come if you've been saved if you know that you're saved and heaven's your home will you wave your hand this morning and will you just think for just a few minutes about where he brought you from where you could have been this morning oh amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me oh but listen think about where what it did for you it taught your heart to fear and then your fear relieved Oh, think about where you've been since you've been saved. Tis grace has brought us safe thus far. But my dear friend, we're getting closer to the gate every day. Tis grace that takes us home. You know what? I'm glad for this redemption. I'm glad that when you come before the Lord, if you trust him by your grace, it won't be a slip up. I, I tell you, some of the saddest things I've ever seen happens in, in boarding in airports and in harbors, boarding ships. I've seen people who have anticipated a journey. They've got all their bags packed and everything. I was in the port of Jacksonville one time or at Fort Lauderdale, uh, 
I forget where it was in Florida. And we were getting ready to board. We had our tickets to get on. And this young man came in. He had everything. had all his stuff. But he did not have the proper documentation. Boy, he pitched a fit. But I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. They can't, you can't go. You don't have, everything's not right. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was ticket, didn't have his passport or what. But they would not let him go. Finally had to call security and take him away. And he went off protesting. But I've got everything packed. They're waiting for me. I can't, I got to go. I got to go. But he didn't have everything ready. He had to have that ticket. Had to have that passport. And you can make all the preparation you want to, my dear friend. But if you have not been born again by the grace of God... You'll come to death's door and you'll be in hell for all eternity. Sin is exceedingly sinful. No way you can atone by baptism for that. No way that you can do well enough to do good deeds to atone for that. It takes amazing grace. It takes the shed blood of Christ. Do you have it? Have you experienced it? If so, the more you learn about sin, the more you'll shout. The more you understand what, some of you know that I had a little bout with Lyme's disease again a few days ago. A couple of Sundays ago when I stood in the pulpit and preached, I, my fever spiked, my blood pressure was up, my pulse rate, which is normally around 40-something, was about 117. And I went and got some antibiotics as soon as service was over with. I'm not contagious. wasn't contagious then. But at lunch, my son-in-law, who is a techno-baptist, has a phone that can do anything. And while we were sitting there, and I, I went with the family, although I didn't feel like eating, I went and sat with them. And so he looked up on his phone all the consequences of Lyme's disease. And he began to talk about the symptoms. I said, I've got that, I've got that, and got that. And then when it said it can, it can cause permanent mental damage, it can paralyze, it, will, it can kill you. And boy, he went through all those results. I was thanking God for that little antibiotic I'd just taken because I'd had another bout with it a few years ago. And I knew that regardless of how I felt then, in about two days, I was going to be feeling better. And can I say something to you? The more you understand about sin and what Jesus did for you as a little boy in vacation Bible school or as a teenager or as an adult, when he saved you, you really didn't understand all he did for you. And the more you learn, the more you shout. And the more you worship him and the more you want to serve him, that sin might become exceedingly sinful. You can't do a thing about it. You can't, you can't get over it yourself. If you don't get saved, you'll be in hell for all eternity because the wages of sin is death. Will you bow your heads in prayer? No, we have sands and buts about it. There are, are no other escape routes out of this world you'll die or get raptured one and there's no remedy for sin except for the shed blood of Christ don't tell me how much you go to church don't talk to me about your baptism don't talk to me about your Sunday school pens about how good you are all of our righteousness is as filthy rags but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And for those of us who know that, and for those of you who know that, how can we not love him and serve him? 
Oh, my dear friend, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The good news is this, my dear friend. He's already suffered and bled and died for your sin. While the ways of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right now, you can have it. If you're in this building, you say, Preacher, I've never been saved. I'm talking about saved like you're talking about saved. I joined the church when I was a boy, when I was a little girl, got baptized. But I've never experienced what you're talking about. And preacher, I want so to know that. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't even try to come to you after the service. I'll talk to you at any time you want me to. Come to your home, here at the church, anywhere. But I'm going to let the Holy Ghost to God deal with you this morning. But you say, Pastor, if I died right now, I don't know why to go to heaven. Would you please pray for me? I won't tell you I will. And can I tell you something before I prayed? Jesus has already prayed for you. He prayed for all who would believe through the words of those who preach. He prayed for you on Calvary. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But I want to pray for you, especially here this morning. You say, preacher, boys and girls, men and women. Preacher, if I died right now, I don't know I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me. Nobody will see your hand but me and God. Would you raise it right up? Let me acknowledge it. You put it right back down. Anybody in the building? Cross the building this morning. Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. And I want you to remember me in prayer. I'm looking, looking. Sweet Holy Spirit of God, I pray you deal with hearts this morning. I pray, God, you speak to my heart. God, the more I learn about how wicked I was and how, Lord, wicked I even am still in my own heart sometimes. It is amazing grace. And God, it's a humbling and a blessed experience at the same time. And God, I want to express my gratitude to you for saving me. How you could save a sinner like me, I don't know. I want to thank you for it. And I pray, God, for these who may not be saved here this morning, I pray, God, the Holy Ghost will deal with them. God, it's your work. God, please forgive me if I got in the way this morning. I pray, God, you make it real to hearts, and I'll thank you. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes are closed for a moment. This wonderful song Brad's going to sing. We may sing a verse with him in a moment. But I want Brad to sing a verse or two of this song. While we have our heads bowed and eyes are closed, Christians always lead the way. The more I learn about sin, the more gratitude I have in my heart about being saved. The more I learn about his sacrifice, the more I want to serve him. The more I read about his cleansing, the more I want to try my best to stay clean, walk with him. I don't want a thing to come between my soul and the Savior. If you're a Christian here this morning, any of those categories fit you, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to get around this altar and just thank him. And while you're doing that, will you pray for lost people? The Holy Ghost of God, don't, I don't care. I could write it in big, bold letters up here, what I've shared with you, and it will not phase them unless the Holy Ghost of God deals with their heart. I pray, God, they'll respond. 